Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we enter the season of Christmastide with a service of special music and a special guest preacher, Pat Peters. Join us now for the message, The Secret of the Gifts. here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We are so happy to welcome those who are in the sanctuary and those of you who are worshiping online with you in this Sunday after Christmas. <clears throat> we notice that we have our guest musicians with us today. These are four very close friends of mine, Pat and Jeff Peters, Christy Wood, and George Asenzo, and they will be providing us with special music throughout the rest of this service. As usual, we'll be taking our live prayer request if you're worshiping at home, then just post your prayer request there in the Facebook feed. And if you are here in the sanctuary, <clears throat> you can send me your prayer request during the singing of the middle hymn. I would also like to invite you, if you have not done so already this week, to please make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org. You can do that through our church center app. Or, of course, you can always mail a check, uh, write out a check and mail it to the church. We will also have a collection plate at the, at the back of the sanctuary that you can drop in your offering after the worship is finished. Uh, we're taking a hiatus from our connection groups, our lift class, and um, I'm assuming our um, UM Disciplines class will not be meeting until after the new year. And our pastor's Bible study will not be meeting again until January 5th. And so now, let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with the lighting of the Christ candle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Glory, Glory to God, to God in, in the highest, highest and, and on, on peace, earth, peace, goodwill, goodwill to, to all people. Please join me in our opening prayer. God, our Father, the Savior is born, and those who live in darkness are seeing a great light. Help us who greet the birth of Christ with joy to live in the light of your Son and to share the good news of your love. We ask this through Jesus Christ, the light who has come into the world. Amen. And now, whether you are here in our sanctuary or worshiping online with us, my prayer for you is peace be with you. Please join together in of number 246, Joy to the World. Please stand as you are able. 
The song we're about to share with you is Joseph Dearest, Joseph Mine, and it is, was originally written in German in the 16th century as part of the mystery play cycle. So this is, you'll hear a little dialogue between Mary and Joseph. Joseph Dearest, Joseph Mine, help me
And the next piece we're going to sing is Mary Did You Know? And I don't know about you, but I have been seeing a controversy in social media about whether this is actually a song that means anything theologically valid or not. Um, there is my opinion, however, is that the, so, so the, the thought is if you've read Luke chapter 1 and read the Magnificat and you know what Mary says about what's coming and what, what the Holy Spirit is doing and all those things, that this is just a silly song. Nobody needs to be asking these questions. But I think a couple of things. One is, for the most part, we think Mary was 13 or 14 years old, probably a peasant girl, not well-educated. She had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which allowed her to know what she knew. But did she really understand what she was talking about, singing about? And then also, this song, I think, is very much, it's not about Mary. It's about the speaker. It's about the person who is asking these questions, who is, under, who is coming to understand what's really happening in the life of Jesus and who Jesus is. So we're going to share with you, Mary, did you know?
God rest you merry gentlemen. Rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of Christmas song. It was composed in 1917 and it will feature a counter melody that's laid on top of a more famous hymn, Adeste Fidelis. So um, you'll hear this beautiful interweaving of O come all ye faithful, O come let us adore him with the, the music on top of the Jesu Bambino.
Please join me in our prayer for illumination. God of light, you have revealed your very self to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, who lived among us full of grace and truth. Open us to your revelation once again, that in the words of your Holy Scripture, we might know your presence and follow in your light always. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. It is such a pleasure to be with you. Um, I've brought for you today a story entitled The Secret of the Gifts, and this was written by Paul Flukey, who is a Unitarian pastor in Minnesota, and it's about the gifts that the Magi brought. So here we go. The story has been told for centuries now, the story of Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, and the gifts they brought to the newborn king and of how they saw the star and followed it for weeks across mountain and valley and desert. In stately procession on their swaying beasts, they came and placed their treasures at the feet of the infant savior. And what were their gifts? Ah, you say, everyone knows that. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, since the earliest days, the story has been told. But there you may be wrong, the story you see, is incomplete. The story was told by those who had seen the wise men on their journey and by those who stood by in wonderment as the wise men dismounted from their weary camels and strode to the door of the rude stable. They watched as the wise men held their jeweled caskets high before them. That much the world saw, and so the story has been told. But that is not the whole story. And if you listen carefully, you shall hear the rest of it. You shall hear what happened when the wise men entered the stable, and you shall learn the secret of the gifts. 
The first of the three visitors to approach the, the stable was Caspar. His cloak was of the finest velvet, trimmed with flawless fur at his waist and his throat were clusters of gems, for Caspar was a wealthy man. Those who watched saw only that he paused at the stable door. Oh, he prays, they whispered to one another as they saw Caspar's lips move, but they were mistaken. They could not see that it was the angel Gabriel guarding the holy place before whom Caspar stopped. And who are you? Gabriel asked in a voice that was firm but not unkind. I am Caspar and I come to worship the king, he replied. All who enter here must bring a gift, said Gabriel. Have you a gift? Indeed I have, said Caspar, and he held aloft a finely wrought box. It was small, yet so heavy that his arms could hardly raise it. I have brought bars of the purest gold. Your gift, said Gabriel somberly, must be the essence of yourself. It must be something precious to your soul. Such have I brought, answered Caspar confidently, the hint of a smile upon his lips. So shall it be, said Gabriel, and he too smiled as he held the door for Caspar to enter. And there before the rough board wall of the stable lay the king he had traveled so far to see. The light of the lamp fell across that tiny face and glinted back from the dark bright eyes. In the shadows sat the parents, motionless and silent, and beyond them Caspar sensed the presence of the sheep and oxen who stood their reverent watch. Caspar advanced a step and then another. He was just about to kneel and lay his gold before the child when he stopped and stood erect, and there in his outstretched arms lay not gold, but a hammer. Its scarred and blackened head was larger than a man's fist, and its handle was of sinewy wood as long as a man's forearm. But, but, Caspar stammered as he stared dumbfounded at this heavy tool, and then softly from behind him, he heard the voice of Gabriel. So shall it be, and so it is, said the angel. You have brought the essence of yourself. Caspar turned indignantly, a hammer? What foul magic is this? None but the magic of truth, replied Caspar. What you hold in your hands is the hammer of your greed. You have used it to pound wealth from those who labor so that you may live in luxury. You have used it to build a mansion for yourself while others dwell in hovels. You have raised it against friends and made them into enemies and against enemies to destroy them. And suddenly, Caspar knew the truth. Bowed with shame, he turned toward the door to leave, but Gabriel blocked his way. No, no, he said, you have not offered your gift. Give this? Caspar blustered in horror, looking at the hammer. I cannot give this to a king. But you must, Gabriel replied. That is why you came. And you cannot take it back with you. It is too heavy. You have carried it for many years. And even now your arms ache with its weight. You must leave it here or it will destroy you. And once again, Caspar knew that the angel spoke the truth. But still he protested, the hammer is too heavy. Why, the child cannot lift it. He is the only one who can, replied the angel. But it's dangerous. He might bruise his hands or feet. 
That worry, said Gabriel, you must leave to heaven. The hammer will find its place. Slowly, Caspar turned back to where the Christ child lay, and slowly he placed the ugly hammer at the baby's feet. Then he rose and turned to the door, pausing only for an instant to look back at the tiny savior before he rushed outside. The waiting world saw only the smile that wreathed Caspar's face as he emerged from the stable. His hands were raised as though the wings of angels graced his fingers. That much the world saw, and so the story is told. Next to step up to the door of the stable was Melchior, the learned Melchior. He was not so resplendent as Caspar, for he wore the darker robes of the scholar. But the length of his beard and the furrows in his brow bespoke the one who had lived long with the wisdom of the ages. A hush fell over the onlookers as he too paused before the door, but only Melchior could see the angel who stood guard. Only Melchior could hear him speak. What have you brought? asked Gabriel. And Melchior replied, I bring frankincense, the fragrance of hidden lands and bygone days. Your gift, cautioned Gabriel, as he had done before, must be something precious to your soul. Of course it is, retorted Melchior. Then enter, and we shall see. And Gabriel opened the door. Melchior stood breathless before the scene within. In all his many years of searching for elusive truth, he had never sensed such a presence as this. He knelt reverently, and from beneath his robe he withdrew the silver flask of precious ointment. But then he drew back and stared. The vessel in his hand was not silver at all. It was common clay, rough and stained as might be found in the humblest cupboard. Aghast, he pulled the stopper from his mouth and sniffed the contents. Then he leapt to his feet only to face the angel at the door. I've been tricked, he said, spitting the words with fury. This is not the frankincense I brought. What is it then? asked Gabriel. It is vinegar, Melchior snarled as though it were a curse. So shall it be, and so it is, said Gabriel. You have brought what you are made of. You are an angel of fools, Melchior snorted, but Gabriel went on. You bring the bitterness of your heart, the soured wine of a life turned grim with jealousy and hatred. You have carried within you too long the memory of old hurts. You have hoarded your resentments and breathed on sparks of anger until they became as embers smoldering within you. You have sought for knowledge but you have filled your life with poison. As he heard these words, Melchior's shoulders dropped. He turned his face away from Gabriel and fumbled with his robe as though to hide the earthen jar, and silently he sidled toward the door. Gabriel smiled gently and placed his hand on Melchior's arm. Wait, he said, you must leave your gift. Melchior sighed with a pain that came from deep within him. How I wish I could. How long I have yearned to empty my soul of this bitterness. You have spoken the truth, my friend, but I cannot leave it here. Not here at the feet of love and innocence. But you can, said Gabriel, and you must if you would be clean. This is the only place you can leave it. 
But this is vile and bitter stuff, Melchior protested. What if the child should touch it to his lips? You must leave that worry to heaven, Gabriel replied. There is a use even for vinegar. So Melchior placed his gift before the Savior, and they say that when he came out of the stable, his eyes shone with the clearest light of heaven's truth. His skin was as smooth as a youth's as he lifted his face to gaze on horizons he had never seen before. And in that, at least, the story is correct. There was yet one more visitor to make his offering. He strode forward now, his back as straight as a tree, shoulders firm as an oaken beam. He walked as one born to command. This was Balthazar, leader of many legions, scourge of walled cities. Before him, as he grasped it by its handle of polished ebony, he carried a brass-bound box. A murmur ran through those who watched as they saw him hesitate before the door. Look, they whispered, even the great Balthazar does obeisance before the king who waits within. But we know that it was Gabriel who caused the warrior to pause. And we, too, know the question that he put. Have you a gift? Of course, answered Balthazar. I bring a gift of myrrh, the most precious treasure of my boldest conquest. Many have fought and died for centuries for such as this. It is the essence of the rarest herbs. But is it the essence of yourself, asked Gabriel. It is, replied the general. Then come, said the angel, and we shall see. Even the fearless Balthazar was not prepared for the wave of awe that struck him as he entered the holy place of the Christ child. He felt a weakness in his knees such as he had never known before. Closing his eyes, he knelt and shuffled forward through the straw in reverence. And then bowing until his face was near the ground, he slowly released his grip upon the handle of the box and raised his head and opened his eyes. And what lay before him at the baby's feet was his own spear. Its smooth, round staff still glistened where the sweat of his palms had moistened it, and the razor edges of its steely tip caught the flickering light of the lamp. It cannot be, Balthazar whispered hoarsely. Some enemy has cast a spell. That is more true than you know, said Gabriel softly from just behind him. A thousand enemies have cast their spell on you and turned your soul into a spear. You speak in riddles, cried Balthazar, turning to face the angel. I'll teach you not to jest at a time like this, and he raised his fist as if to strike. Gabriel did not even flinch as he continued. Living only to conquer, you have been conquered. Each battle you win leaves you only to another with a foe yet more formidable. Do you think I like to kill, demanded Balthazar? You angels know nothing of this world. I am the defender of my people. Were it not for my spear leading them in battle, we should have been destroyed long ago. Why, even now, the enemy is massing to invade us. As soon as I leave this holy place, I must raise more armies. I must buy more spears to arm them and... More, Gabriel interrupted quietly. More than what? Why, more than we have now, more than our enemies have. And what will they do then, asked the angel softly. Will your enemies too need more? Balthazar heard the angel's words. 
and they seem to echo in the deepest places of his soul as though vaguely familiar. Was this question one that he had asked himself? Was it that faintest flicker of doubt, quickly stifled by one who did not dare to doubt? For a moment, Balthazar hesitated. Then taking control of himself, he reached down and grasped his spear and turned toward the door. I cannot leave this here, he said. My people need it. We cannot afford to give it up. Are you sure, asked Gabriel, that you can afford to keep it? But our enemies will destroy us if we drop our spears, Balthazar said impatiently. We cannot take that risk. Yes, it is a risk, Gabriel replied slowly. But your way is a certainty a certainty of spears. Once again, Balthazar hesitated, and once again the sweat of his palm moistened the smooth shaft of the spear, but now the beads stood out in his forehead as well, as the force of Gabriel's words did battle with centuries of warrior instinct. A long moment passed. Finally, Balthazar loosed his grip, and the spear dropped toward the floor. But as he looked at the child at his feet, he whispered anxiously to Gabriel, But here? Is it safe to leave it here? The angel released a long-held breath as he whispered back, This is the only safe place to leave it. But he is a child. The spear is sharp. It could pierce his flesh. That fear you must leave to heaven, Gabriel replied. And they say that Balthazar went calmly from the stable, his arms hanging gently at his sides. They say that he walked first to Caspar and Melchior, where they waited, and embraced them as brothers. And then turning to the others who watched, he went first to one and then to the next, enfolding each in his outstretched arms as one greeting beloved friends whom he has not seen for a very long time. Well, that, at least, is how the story has always been told. And it is true as far as it goes, but you've listened well, and now you know the whole of it. And now you, too, may kneel before the Christ child to leave at his feet those unseen, secret things that may be left nowhere else but there. And having visited the holy place, you, too, like these three visitors of old, may go on your way made new. But what if they're gifts, you ask? What of the hammer and the vinegar and the spear? Well, there's another story about them and how they were seen once more years later, in fact, on a lonely hillside outside of Jerusalem. But that is a story for another day. We've had an American contemporary Christmas carol, then we had an Italian, and now we're going to bring you a French Christmas carol, Il est né. Um, this Christmas carol was, uh, let's say, it's, it's probably been around a very long time, but was written down in the 18th century, and um, is one of the more rustic ones. It does not translate well into English at all. There are probably six, seven, or eight different 
English attempts at translating it, none of which are satisfactory to me, who speak a little bit of uh, high school French. The French will always be my preferred method of singing this particular Christmas carol. So I will sing two verses of Il est né le divine enfant. Now we come to our time in our service where we lift up our joys and concerns to the Lord. We did have one prayer request come in from Dana Dempsey. We want to have prayers for Jeannie, who is Lori Butler's mom. She had to go into the hospital on Christmas Eve due to, due to fluid retention. And so hopefully they can reduce the fluid and get her off oxygen so she can go home. And right now Lori and Dana are in Illinois with Lori's parents. So for uh, Jeannie and Lori and uh, Dana and the entire family, and for any of those who are suffering illness during this Christmas season, uh, Lord, in your mercy. I want us to be continuing to be praying for those who have been affected by natural disasters. We've had the typhoon in Philippines, still the, the, the tornadoes that, that ripped through our own country, and now they're facing now a holiday season with the results of these natural disasters. So for all of those who have been affected, Lord, in your mercy. I want us to be continuing to pray for Kelly Sanford and her family. That is my clergy colleague whose son has been missing now for several weeks in, in uh, Los Angeles. So I can only imagine what this Christmas season must have been like for Kelly and her husband and the rest of their family. So I want to pray that her, her son Christian is found alive and well and soon. And also pray for all of the others who may be missing family members. So Lord, in your mercy. Uh, traveling mercies then for all. Many of us uh, are traveling. Many of us have friends and family who are traveling. And so we pray God's mercies that everyone can get home safely again. So Lord, in your mercy. I would like to offer up a two blessings. First of all, I meant to pray for this last week and forgot, but we want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the release of all the hostages that were taken in Haiti uh, several weeks ago, and they have now all been released safely, 
And so we want to pray uh, a prayer of thanksgiving for them and a prayer for all the missionaries out there who are doing the work of the Lord. And so we know that the work of um, these missionaries is the work of the Lord. So therefore, thanks be to God. And then finally, another prayer of thanksgiving for the life and the witness of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. You may have seen on the news this morning that he passed away uh, in his home there in South Africa. And the difference that he has made in this world is phenomenal. Not just the difference that he made in his own country of South Africa, but the way that he led that uh, Peace and uh, Reconciliation Committee, which I think has become now a model for all of us to use as we try to deal with the conflicts that we have in our world. And so we just want to thank God for sending someone of that caliber right at the time and place that someone just like him was needed. And so in joyous thanksgiving for Desmond Tutu's life and witness, we know that his life was the work of the Lord. Therefore, thanks be to God. And let us now, with the confidence that we have of the as the children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Closing hymn, which is uh, hymn number um, 244, Twas in the Moon of Wintertime. This may be a new hymn for you, so let me give you a, a brief explanation about it. This is a Native American hymn one of the few that we have. It was written in the uh, uh, 17th century um, by a French Canadian who was a missionary who was there in the Great Lakes region and was wanting to tell the story of the Magi but in a manner that would be relatable to the Native Americans to whom he was assigned. So this is the story of the Magi told in a method that would be relatable. There is a, a word in there, Gichi Manitou, that is representative of the Great Spirit. It translates into Holy Spirit or the Great Spirit. So we, when we sing it, we say the mighty Gichi Manitou. Okay.
that one. I love, I love that tune. You can always find a recording of our service uh, on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, or through our church podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. I want to be asking you during this week, as I've been asking you the last several weeks, as your action item to continue to pray for this church and to pray for this building to be completed. Right now, I would just be really happy if the sanctuary was completed. Uh, but we want to continue to pray until the entire building is back ready for worship once again. Again, to remind you that there will be a collection plate in the back for you to offer your offering. I want us to give a wonderful round of applause for our musicians today. And I wanted to thank uh, Pat and Jeff and Christy and George, not only for the music that we have today. I want to thank you guys for everything. These guys have offered me friendship and support, and they've been a sounding board through my entire ordination process and, and for the like 10 years leading up to the ordination process. Uh, they've, been, they've been there for me in thick and thin. And they're also fellow aficionados of Harry Potter the Mandalorian, and the Dallas Cowboys, and a bunch of other things. So anyway, I just want you guys to know that your friendship means more to me than you can know. And now I would like to invite you to stay seated for our postlude, We Three Kings. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday will be Epiphany Sunday, where we celebrate all the ways Christ's presence is made manifest to us. Our guest preacher will be our director of music, Wesley McCall. You'll find recordings of all of our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we are now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.